It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Redskins. Your daily Washington Redskins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, it is episode number 262 of the Locked on Redskins podcast. Good to have you guys with us. I'm your host, Chris Russell. Again, hope you had a great 4th of July, Independence Day in America, 4th of July weekend, depending on when you are listening uh, to this particular episode of the Locked on Redskins podcast. Again, episode number 262. Coming up on this episode, we start to dip into our New York Giants preview with my friend Patricia Chena, who hosts the Locked on Giants podcast. Uh, talked to her last week. We did an extensive preview of the Giants. We're going to break it up into several segments over a couple of different episodes, uh, just so you guys can get a feel for what the Redskins are facing. Going to try and also hook up uh, with, the, uh, with our Eagles uh, correspondent and our Cowboys correspondent, if uh, time and schedule and ability allows, and get you that. If not, we will uh, do an extensive preview, or we'll find somebody uh, to do an extensive preview. Uh, that is still to come over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but before we get to part one of Patricia, uh, which will focus kind of on the Giants' crazy offseason, I wanted to do this. Remember last week we did a story, and it was over a couple of different episodes, uh, where the Redskins fan base surprisingly ranked 11th. And there were some weird oddities to the Rams and the Chiefs and uh, so on and so forth. And the study was done by Emory University marketing professor Mike Lewis. Uh, And we posted it up on at Locked Redskins, at Locked Redskins. Maybe we'll do it again. Uh, just in correspondence with this particular piece that I wanted to get into now, and that's Mike Tanier of BleacherReport.com. And Mike's been around for a while. He's a good, good dude. Um, and he kind of, you know, uh, takes a more cynical approach, I guess, to the, the work that was done, again, by Mike Lewis, who he said, quote-unquote, whiffed so badly with his data-driven rankings last week. And, of course, he linked to it. He said, there's more to evaluating fan loyalty and quality than counting attendance figures, revenue, and Twitter followers. He said, so Bleacher Report asked me, the in-house NFL mathematician, because he used to be with Football Outsiders, so he's into the analytics and the numbers and all that, to rank all 32 fan bases using the following 100% objective and utterly uh, quantitative uh, criteria. So Mike says um, engagement is 1 to 10. Loyalty is such a loaded term. He says, engagement measures just how vocal and visible the diehard fans really are, especially after a 5-11 season or two. He says, another category is cuisine, 1 through 10. If the team cannot play like a champion, fans can at least eat like champions at tailgates, nearby restaurants, bars, etc. Savvy is another category, 1 to 10. We don't want to insult anyone's football intelligence, but some fan bases have a reputation for reasonable and informed discourse, while others have drunk too much Kool-Aid for too many years. He said, 
uh, and that's 1 through 10. Now, internet personality goes from a range of minus 5 through plus 3. Weird grading scale, especially when everything is 1 to 10 so far. He said, sorry, normal folks, but this is where your reputation is defined by how loudest, orneriest contingent of your fan base comes across in common threads. Twitter beefs and um, angry emails to sports writers. <laughs> <laughs> We've also added some of the comments about the Lewis rankings from the BR app community to highlight the flaws in that study and illustrate why our rankings are so much more rigorous and intuitive. He says, if you don't like your where your fan base ended up, don't blame us. Blame analytics for ruining everything. That's what cool fans at the top of the list would do. So remember how uh, this Mike Lewis guy had the Kansas City Chiefs as the second-worst fan base. Well, Mike Tanier of Bleacher Report has the Kansas City Chiefs fan base where they should be. At the top, well, whether they're at the top, should be at the top, I don't know. They should damn well be near the top if they're not at the top. And he put them at number one. Again, Mike Lewis, the Emory University marketing professor, put them at number 31 based on his cumulative rankings. Uh, Tanir Bleacher Report has Engagement 10, Cuisine 9, Savvy 10, Internet Personality. Remember, that's the weird scale, minus 5 to plus 3 as a plus 2, fan score of 31. And what they did was they put in, again, these quotes and comments from the BR app. Uh, basically, we said, Chiefs, second to last. I'm not even a Chiefs fan, and I know those are some of the best fans in the NFL. A Raiders fan says, as a Raiders fan, I find the Chiefs ranking horribly offensive. Right? So we took issue with this, of course. Uh, and again, he points out, ranking them 31st was the Lewis Emory University study's greatest blunder. Again, we pointed that out immediately. We were just floored uh, by that. Number two is the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and Tanier goes in to explain the reasons why, and we'll put the entire study and ranking and poll and whatever uh, up so you can read it all yourself because we can't do every team uh, here on the Lockdown Redskins podcast. But Again, they were number 27 overall in the Emory University uh, study for fan base rankings. So they get the number two mark in Mike Tanier of Bleacher Report. Number three goes to the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers in the other study didn't even make the top five. They did make the top ten, but they did not make the top five. Number four, Seattle. Uh, you can pretty much figure out why in that regard. Number five, the Oakland Raiders. How about that? Engagement eight. 1 to 10. Cuisine, 6. 1 to 10. Savvy, 8.75. How about that? Internet personality, a plus 2. I didn't think I would see that. Uh, and the Reds, the Raiders ranked 17th in terms of the other study. Again, top 5 here by Mike Tanier and Bleacher Report. Number six is the Baltimore Ravens. Number seven is your Kirk Cousins-led Minnesota Vikings. Number eight is the Philadelphia Eagles. Number nine is the Buffalo Bills. I like that because the Bills Mafia is awesome, even though they're smaller in numbers. Number 10, the Chicago Bears. And again, we'll post the whole thing up. Number 11, the spot that the Redskins were in, is the New Orleans Saints. So the Redskins clearly dropping at this point. Number 12, Indianapolis. Eh. Number 13, Pittsburgh. That's surprising that they're so low. Uh, number 14, San Francisco. Number 15, New England. The New England Patriots. Despite all the winning, all the championships, uh, they they 
get a pretty mediocre score, if we're being honest. Number 16 is the Carolina Panthers. 17 is the Denver Broncos. 18 is your beloved Dallas Cowboys, who were number one on the list, but dropped to number 18 on Tanier's Bleacher Report list. Um, Just looking inside them, they got an 8.25 for engagement, a 6 for cuisine, a and, and that's weird, kind of in that state, new stadium, newish stadium, a seven on a one to 10 scale of savvy, an internet personality of a minus one. Again, that's a scale of minus five to three. Uh, and their fan score only a 20.25 total. They rank just ahead of the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Atlanta Falcons, the New York Giants come in at number 21. Uh, nothing really stands out there about the grading process there. So all three NFC East teams, then come the Jets, the Houston Texans, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Los Angeles Rams at number 25. Again, team that made it to the Super Bowl last year, uh, ranked 32nd in the one study and 25 here. Uh, the Miami Dolphins rank number 26. Number 27 is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Number 28 is the Detroit Lions. Number 29 is the Cincinnati Bengals. Number 30, how about the Tennessee Titans? How about them Titans? Number 31 is the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals with a fan score of 14.25. And that leads us to... The number 32 team overall, that's right, the Washington Redskins. Fan engagement, 1 to 10, scale, 5. Cuisine, 1 to 10, scale, a 5. Savvy, 1 to 10, scale, a 7.5. All right. An internet personality of a negative 4. That's, again, on a scale of negative 5 to plus 3. A couple of the comments uh, that were posted in this Bleacher Report study column, whatever, uh, quote, I'm a Redskins fan. And let me tell you, it's an absolute crime to put us as number, uh, uh, at number 11, we should be between 25 and 32. Our fan base sucks mainly because we've been driven away by the owners. Uh, sorry, the wording on that tweet was a little bit, and they didn't clean it up. So, uh, they just put the authentic tweet in there. Uh, Mike Tanier writes, in olden times, <laughs> in olden days, uh, i.e. the 1980s, Skins fans were goofballs playing banjos, wearing pink snouts, uh, pig snouts, and granny dresses. Now the most visible Skins fans spend most of the time on the internet demanding that the rest of us just deal with the team's name and then dressing up as long rows of corny, uh, of empty seats on Sunday. He says, in fairness to the few remaining skins, true skins loyalists, as opposed to the angry cranks who have gloomed onto a political argument, they've stuck with a dysfunctional franchise with problematic branding and a stadium that has all the charm and luxury of an abandoned strip mall. (laughs) That's a great line. It's a wonder so many fans still care at all. Just not enough fans to keep them out of last place on this list. So the Redskins fan base goes from 11th in the Emory University marketing professors study to 32nd last in the NFL Mike Tanier Bleacher Report type study. How about that, huh? 
Now, again, it's not a scientific study by any means. All right, let's take a break. We'll come on back. We'll get uh, part one of Patricia Trena. Uh, here with us right here on the Locked On Redskins podcast. She covers the Giants for Locked On Giants and a couple of other outlets. That's next right here on the Locked On Redskins podcast. Hope you had, again, a great 4th of July and celebration episode number 262. Thanks for being with us. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, it is Chris Russell with you, episode number 262. So we begin our look at the New York Giants with my friend, the host of the Locked On Giants podcast, Patricia Trainer. Hey, how are you, Chris? It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, it's always great to have you back uh, with us right here on the Locked on Redskins podcast. Of course, we do this uh, a couple of times during the regular season uh, with the crossover Wednesday edition. By the way, you can follow uh, Patricia at Patricia underscore Trana. That's T-R-A-I-N-A at Patricia underscore Trana. And again, listen to the Locked on Giants bo- uh, podcast. Uh, she does a great job with that. Gets much better numbers than I'm ever <laughs> going to get. Uh, she's much more dedicated than I am. Uh-huh. All right. So let's get to this. Um, I I mean, I guess we start here, right? Because there's so many different ways. Rewinding the clock. The last time I think we talked was before the Giants came in without Odell Beckham to FedEx Field and absolutely clean the clocks of the Redskins in a just disastrous look for the Washington Redskins organization, right? And after that, the season ended and Odell Beckham gets traded. Now, I guess rewinding the clock on that, Patricia, and I know I'm sure you've talked about this a million times. What was what was the chances you thought going into the offseason that a Odell was going to get traded? And then when, when it did happen, were you able to like process that, that, wow, this ended the way it did? Well, to answer your first question, I always said after he signed that big contract that he got last year that I didn't think he would see the end of it with the Giants. Now, with that said, did I think he would get traded last year? No. I thought they would at least hang on to him at least another year, maybe look to move him the following year or something like that. But there were some circumstances that kind of, you know, led to, I I think, or expedited his eventual departure out of New York. Now, the Giants will say that it's a business decision, and it might very well be at the end of the day, but I can't imagine that the interview that he did with ESPN that, of course, made national headlines, I can't imagine that sat well. I can't imagine, you know, the, the injury situation at the end of the year where he missed the last four games, that sat well. And just other, you know, just other little things that kind of added up to the point where, you know, Dave Gettleman talked about uh, at the combine, he talked about the a-hole quotient. And, you know, he basically was, you know, he he, he was uh, inferring that, look, sometimes, you know, the, the more talent or, or the bigger a, a, a pain for, you know, I'm going to be clean here. I'm going to keep it clean for your, your listeners here. But the bigger a pain a guy is, the more talented and the more you know, I guess perfect, if you will, he better be. 
And, you know, look, Odell is a tremendous talent. You know, I, I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. And quite frankly, I always thought he was a decent human being. You know, he did a lot of work with children and charities. He was very giving. He'd give you this shirt off his back. You know, just a polite young man. But, you know, th the bottom line is, is unfortunately the fame monster that comes with playing in New York beat him. That was the one opponent Odell could not handle. Um, you know, he just he just didn't have, for whatever reason, uh, you know, the, the the structure, the support that that I think he sh if he had gotten that in the beginning. And I go back to, you know, that Carolina game when he when he got into it with Josh Norman and that led to a one game suspension. Right then and there, Odell should have been, you know, Tom Coughlin, who was the head coach, should have pulled him from the game and just kind of sat him down and handled the discipline before it escalated. And sadly, because he's been such a tremendous talent, the Giants were losing. They were looking for that spark. I think a lot of his antics, you know, they turned a blind eye to that. And, you know, it just kind of blew up. And after a while, Dave Gettleman said, look, enough is enough. We got this great offer. You know, they got two first, uh, two first round picks, that one being Jabril Peppers from the Browns. The other one's being the Browns' seven, number 17 pick. Uh, in the first round and then they've got you know they got a third round pick which Dave Gettleman wanted desperately in this year's draft so you know in, in Dave Gettleman's mind that draft was a no-brainer uh, I'm sorry that trade was a no-brainer to make you know it, it's it's interesting and, and I don't know I, I guess you know how if we're offering strong opinions on this to me I thought the Red uh, the Redskins the Giants um made a terrible decision to give him the money that they did and the contract that they did when they did, because they were hoping that Dave Gettleman and Shermer would be able to change his attitude around along with Odell, you know, actually maturing. And I know you said some good things about him and I, I don't mean to completely throw him under the bus, but to me, that was a bold, 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 aggressive move by ownership, I think, uh, to give him that money. And then, like you said, it became kind of, I mean, you know, it should have been prohibitive to trading him as quickly as they did one year later, but the return that they got. And then the other part of that was the Olivier Vernon for Kevin Zeitler move. And now you bring in a guy that Zeitler that didn't exactly work out in Cleveland, who had a big contract there. Vernon, who didn't exactly work out with New York goes there. So you help out that offensive line. So the deal becomes even, I guess, bigger and with more tentacles, if you will, and ways to help the giants. Not only, are they rid of Odell Beckham's antics and the chemistry and the cohesion and and the drama goes down but also they've strengthened their offensive line as well well actually I think the the Vernon to Zeitler the Vernon and Zeitler trade I think that was a separate trade but just to, to go back to your point you know right. about about the contract Odell you know when he came in um, actually, let me backtrack a little bit. When Pat Shermer was hired, he put a big emphasis on trying to build a relationship with Odell, which is something that I don't think was as strong in previous years uh, between coaching and, and, and Odell. Um, so Shermer, you know, the Giants felt good about that, the direction that that was headed. You know, Odell showed up for the offseason program. He wasn't there every time, but he was there for the OTAs. He showed up. He made an effort. So I think based on that and based on the fact that he basically cleaned up his act and we did, we weren't reading about him in, you know, hotel rooms with, with women and and. Yeah pizza and, and whatnot. Um, I think that he cleaned all that up. The Giants were convinced that, you know, hey, maybe 
this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, the interview was done. Um, tremendous get for ESPN. Kudos to them. But it, it just, Odell has always been too honest for his own good. And he had plenty of opportunities to deflect some of the, the, the leading questions that he was asked. For example, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, are you happy in New York? And he goes and he talks about the sunshine of L.A. Or, you know, do you have a problem with, with the quarterback? Instead of saying, well, we're all to blame because football's a team sport, he, you know, he, he, he goes, well, I don't know, you know. So those answers didn't set to they, – they didn't sit well with Giants management. And you got to remember, Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman, when they came in here, they were all about cleaning out the culture, the culture that had deteriorated so badly under Ben McAdoo. And those attitudes and those opinions expressed by Odell, unfortunately, were remnants of that old culture. And – you know, I think that factored into the equation because, look, you just don't give up on a generational talent unless there's something underlying that that leads you to that. And and, and I, you know, the Giants will say, again, that it was a business decision, but you can't tell me that that didn't have something to do with it. Now, regarding the OV to, to, to uh, and Kevin Zeitler trade, Zeitler, remember, according to Pro Football Focus, he was the top-rated guard, and I think the reason why you know Cleveland moved on for him is they had a they had drafted another young man um, who they felt was ready and who, of course, was a lot cheaper. Now you know people you know look at Ov and. He wasn't a horrible player when he was here. His problem was that he couldn't stay healthy, but he was still the best pass rusher they ha- that they had. You know, you look at the pressures he was able to generate. He missed, I think, t- four games or five games last year, and he still led the team in sacks and in pressures, which is, you know, says a lot about where they were with the pass rush. But at the same time, you know, he was paid like a premier pass rusher, like Avon Miller or Khalil Mack. And when you're not getting that type of production for the money that you're paying, now you got to reevaluate where you are. So, you know, there were a lot of people who thought that the Giants were going to just cut OV loose and, and take the loss. Well, the fact that they were able to flip him to the Browns and get a guard that, you know, after losing Jamon Brown and a, and a pretty good guard, you know, at least on paper, that that's a tremendous coup by, uh, by Dave Gettleman, I think. All right, that's part one of the Locked On Redskins, Locked On Giants crossover offseason preview and training camp preview with my friend Patricia Trana. She does a great job covering the New York Giants. Make sure you follow her at Patricia underscore Trana. Uh, we will come back and look at part two of a tumultuous offseason for Dave Gettleman and Shermer and trading Odell Beckham and drafting Daniel Jones. And we'll leave the on-field stuff for other episodes Episode number 262, we continue along with Patricia Trana next. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, it is episode number 262 and right back out to Patricia Trena as she gets a set 
for an off-season look at the New York Giants. You know, there's been so much criticism of Dave Gettleman, right? He's an old school kind of, you know, throwback type general manager, again, made controversial decisions, um, you, you know, just marches to the beat of his own drummer, as Josh Norman found out in Carolina, as Odell Beckham found out here, uh, as, as as Giants fans are finding out now. What is your ultimate view with even now more time with Dave because he was with the organization, then left for, to go to Carolina, now he's back? And again, the national media and football fans just think he's an absolute clown show. I don't have that same impression, but I'm curious as to how you view it being around this team on a day-in, day-out basis, Patricia. Well, I think that perception comes from the fact that the Giants, you know, how many games have they won? They won five last year. They won, uh, I think it was three the year before. And, you know, it's, it, this is a results-oriented business. Now, with that said, you know, I'm, I'm currently working on a, on a book about the Giants' history. And you go back to the first general manager the Giants ever had, which was George Young, hired in 1979. And George had a very specific way of building rosters. You know, he built them from the outside, I'm sorry, from the inside out, the, the pit guys out, you know, going out to the, you know, the, the perimeter guys. And George hired Ernie Accorsi, who learned under George's, you know, Ernie was, was an established GM himself, but he really began to learn about, you know, building rosters and handling the day-to-day stuff under George Young, Young's watch. Well, now you've got Dave Gettleman who comes in and he's working now under Ernie Accorsi. So there's kind of like this line of succession and people will say, well, didn't Jerry Reese also learn under, under, um, you know, Ernie Accorsi? And the answer is yes. And if you remember, Jerry Reese had some success in the beginning, but then he kind of moved away from the philosophy that has worked for so many, you know, for all four of the Giants Super Bowl championships, and that is building from the inside out. So Gettleman has come in, and, and for all the Giant fans who for years screamed, why aren't they addressing the offensive line? What are they doing? Gettleman is putting an emphasis in the pit or on the pit players, because that's where games are won and lost. If you have, you know, if your offensive linemen are beating the heck out of, you know, the defensive opponents in front of them, that means you're going to be able to run the ball all day. That should theoretically mean you're going to be able to pass all day. And that's what they're trying to do. So you got to remember, Gettleman has only had two off seasons. We haven't seen the results yet of this past off season, but on paper, everything is looking good. And I know it's on paper. We've got to see what happens on the field. But I think he's got the team moving in the right direction. Now we'll see what happens, you know, because like I said, on paper doesn't mean anything. Patricia Trano with us, the Locked on Giants uh, host. And also you can check her out uh, at Patricia underscore Trana on Twitter and Forbes. And uh, just does a, a great job covering Big Blue. Uh, and she's with us here on the Locked on Redskins podcast. You know, you mentioned Coach Shermer, obviously. Now, again, more is going to be expected out of him now that he's had a full year to kind of survey the landscape. Things didn't go well last year. Uh, it's his second go around as a head coach and now year two in New York. We know the media, we know the pressure, we know the expectations, but quite honestly, with the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, at least on paper, being much better than the Redskins and the Giants, I don't know what the expectations and what the actual pressure is on Coach Shermer. How, what do you sense in that regard? 
I don't think he's on the hot seat yet. I think right now you got to remember they're kind of in a transition period. Last year they cleaned out the locker room, improved the, the, the culture. I mean, look at the turnaround that they've had since the end of the 2017 season. I mean, last year they, they got rid of over 50% of the guys that they had on the roster the year before. They got rid of a few more this offseason. So right now I think if you look at this Giants roster and, and the direction that it's headed – this is more in Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer's uh, vision, or, or, or it, this roster will fit what they want to do, you know, the type of players they want. And you've got to give Shermer, obviously, another year to see, you know, what is he going to be able to get out of them. They're, you know, now, if they come up with another five-win season or, or worse, now you've got a problem. Now it's like, okay, what exactly is going on here? Because you've got all the players that you – want allegedly okay so you better do something with these guys because if you have if the results are still the same now you've got to look at something else and say okay look something's not right here and 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 i think that's something they're going to look at is is going to be the coaching all right and that's going to do it for us on the locked on redskins podcast episode number 262 thanks for being with us have a great rest of your day enjoy and thanks for listening to the locked on redskins podcast If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.